amazing things in the hundred years that you've done. We thank you for the lives that have been transformed. We thank you for the people that have come to know you. We thank you for the bodies that have been healed. We thank you for the, the miraculous interventions and the miraculous works that you've done in past times. And we want to praise you. We want to thank you for our heritage. We want to thank you for all the amazing things that you've done. But Lord, we thank you, Lord. Let's remember what you have done of old. The cry of our hearts, Lord, tonight is, would you do it again? Would you do far more abundantly even what we can imagine or think? Would you move? Would you pour out your spirit afresh and anew? Would you do a mighty new work? We pray for a fresh breath of your spirit among the churches on this island. God, we pray for you to move in a new, mighty way, God. To touch our hearts, to touch our lives afresh. To stir us and to move us in ways we've not known before. Lord, we want to honour you. We want to thank you for all the mighty works you've done. And Lord, we give you the praise and we say, Lord, let all the honour and all the glory go to Jesus tonight. In your mighty name. Come, let's give him praise, let's give him thanks, let's thank him right now. Praise God. You know, God's been really great for us over the last hundred years. But, you know, we've been led very well over the last 16 years. And uh, I won't mention the comment that you mentioned, but uh, they'll see it as you walk up. But it's great to have John Glass with us. Um, he's been the general superintendent for, the, I think, 16 years. Yes, uh, 16 years. And he's done a great job. But he's knitted us together as a family all across the breadth of UK and some of the, uh, uh, in, in the mission field and further afield again. And we just want to thank him as a as minister. We thank him for what, the work that he's done. But also, not only is he uh, the general superintendent of, uh, of Eve, the Elam movement, he's also the chair of the Evangelical Alliance. And so he's, he has lots of hats on his head. Uh, that's just a couple of them. And so, John, I want to give you, uh, you the platform now. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. As you say, man, it's uh, just see, looking so well, isn't it? That's a great thing. And I'm the bold vicar that Scott, Scott was mentioned about earlier on. Um, but uh, great to be with you. What a great thing that you've done having something here on the island, because the rest of your region had a meeting in, in Cardiff, the southwest region that you're part of, and uh, the Welsh region. That, and it was one of the, I mean, they're all great, but it's one of the best of, the, of all of them. Um, and there was about 1,600 people there. It was an amazing meeting. Uh, but it's so amazing. I was so thrilled when I heard that Guernsey were, uh, were doing their own uh, expression of that. And it's amazing to see so many of you made the, take the trouble to be out tonight and to, to be part of that. Uh, can I say before I say anything else, Elim, it, we, this is Elim's birthday, so we're going to be talking a lot about Elim a little bit in the next... Uh, two and a half hours no. <laughs> in the next few minutes. Um, but we are, Elim is, as much as God has done great things in the movement, uh, we are still part of the picture of, of God's church in the nation, aren't we? And so that's why I'm so thrilled about the work that Elim plays with the Evangelical Alliance and my, uh, my colleague, John Langlow, who is a fellow council member. And you may not know too much about it, and obviously I'm not going to take too much of the time this evening, but at the back, when you get that DVD, you have to buy that DVD. It's amazing. It's an amazing DVD. There is um, a, a membership application. The movement is part of the of EA. Um, the, um, uh, our churches, many of our churches are indiv uh, church members. It would be great to have a great, uh, a greater number of individual people uh, who uh, register that they're part of it. You know, when 
the Muslims, they, they fight amongst themselves and they have all these stuff going around the world. But when they speak to government, they speak as one voice. And the problem with our government, so, they see so many Christian denominations. And so when you're able to be part of, say, the Evangelical Alliance, they're not just hearing England, they're hearing um, many, many denominations right across the country. Uh, and uh, an organization has been running for 169, 170 years. So please take one of those and consider becoming a, a member of the Evangelical Alliance. There's other literature there that also is important. But what I want to say tonight, amazing to see all of you here, because what happens is uh, on Saturday I'll be going uh, to Manchester and uh, that will be the final one of the larger celebrations. And by the time we get there, 10,000 even people will have been in meetings like this. That's great, isn't it? I think it's great anyway. 10,000 people around. It's not the majority of our movement. On a Sunday morning in Ealing churches around the country, there are 70,000 plus people who are in church on a Sunday morning in the UK. 9,000 churches around the world and so forth. Uh, but to have 10,000 out, that's great. And, and it's great to see you. And it's a great privilege and joy for me to be part of uh, what you're doing here on the island. I don't have any um, particular personal links to the island. My grandfather... Uh, John Woodhead, my mother's father, was uh, the pastor of the Varsin Church in the 1930s um, for a period of time. But it's great to be with you, as I said. Now, I want to take you for a moment away from the Channel Islands and to take you to a place not out in the Middle East, but about 10 miles south of where I live. I live in... Uh, Oh, incidentally, why Marilyn is, you say, why isn't your wife with you? Well, she's not with me. She was really looking forward to coming, but she had a very nasty fall a couple of days ago, about three or four days ago. We'd just come back from the northwest of England, got back late, and uh, she had a terrible fall and um, fractured her uh, arm by her shoulder. So um, I've got, she's got people staying with her over the four days I'm going to be away here. But we live out in the Cotswolds, a part of the world that some of you, you're familiar with the Cotswolds, you know? Uh, yeah. And uh, we live in the last But when we go about 10 miles south of Cheltenham, I would say, I want to show you a remarkable place. And you're in the, imagine you're in the car with me. And I tell you that to be 8435, which is a nondescript dual carriageway. And I said, right, I'm going to show you this amazing place. And we pull into a lay-by and you think, what on earth is this? It's just, it's just a couple of, uh, just a field and a few hedges. What is special about this? And we get out, I said, we'll get out of the car. We'll get out of the car. And you still can't say anything very important. We then walk about three metres into, uh, towards a field, and just about three metres, and then you see something that is so underwhelming, you really worry about my mental health. <laughs> because it's just a grassy hollow. That's all it is, a grassy hollow. This is the grassy hollow. And um, you say, well, John, there's beautiful villages, there's thatched cottages, there's castles, there's all manner of things. What is so important about this? But then... I would ask you to look up at a plaque on the wall. And the plaque on the wall is in Latin. And uh, you should see that any moment now. And I know that you all know immediately what that says. Do you? Where are the Latin scholars in this place? I wouldn't have a clue personally, but I've looked it up on the internet and this is what it says. Here, O Father Thames, is your sevenfold spring. In that pool of water... Let's go back to the grassy hollow picture. In that pit there, do you see the little things coming out, the little holes? There are seven springs that are coming out of that. And it, it forms in that place, 10 miles south of Cheltenham, just a pool of water. 
But it begins to flow and it gathers momentum. And over time it becomes the River Thames, which runs for 229 miles as a river through London. In the trailer for the DVD, you saw seven springs. Well, they weren't springs. They were men of God, young men who had something springing up in their spirit. They went into, around the table, who got some scones and tea, I'm sure, or something like that. And they began to say something God is doing, something very special in the world today. God's touched our lives. They were the early founders of our movement, George Jeffries and six other people. Anybody passing by, if you'd gone in and to that meeting, it would be a nondescript meeting of seven friends. But from that, because that took place, there is not a river flowing through London. You are here today because of what they did. And I am here today because of what they did. And what God does is he takes people who have got something bubbling up in their spirit. And it may not look incredibly, your church right now may not be the, the largest church in, on the island, or it certainly wouldn't be the largest church in, in, in the UK. But you see, it's not the size of the church, it's the depth of the spring of purpose of God within our life right now. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So it's a casual glance, it's nothing. But that DVD talks of that small beginning. And Pentecost, the move of Pentecost in the UK, and in fact the flow of the Holy Spirit around the world, began with that kind of smallness. I mean, if I were to take you, for example, to a tiny church hall in Sunderland. Uh, it was an Anglican minor hall, we would call it. Nothing ever happened in the main church, but very ordinary Anglican, uh, Anglican services. But when they had a midweek meeting in the minor hall, the vicar was a man called Reverend A.A. Body. Something remarkable was happening. People began to speak in tongues. People had never heard that in, in this nation at that time. And it became a kind of a well. We own that building now. And if you went there in, in that area, it just like, it looks absolutely nothing. It looks nothing. It does not stand out. But that is where the modern Pentecostal move of God took place in a nondescript place. Or I might take you to the Westport Hall in Kilside. Now, my last church as a, as a pastor, 16 years ago, I left there to be and I was elected to do what I do now every four years for the last four terms. And I incidentally concluded six months' time. But Westport, Kilside is a mining town, uh, was a mining town uh, many years ago, the turn of the last, last century. It was the poorest town in Scotland. In other words, there were the housing stock uh, at the turn of the last century, dreadful. Is this on actually? Is this, is this working? You can't hear it. And um, they were so poor, the people, they're so poor, that the two churches in the town, the vicars, or they were actually Church of Scotland ministers, or so they're called ministers, they would not allow the ragged people to come to church, particularly the children with no, with no shoes on. And so they banned all people with no shoes. Can you believe this? It's unbelievable. They banned them from coming. But the elders of their church seemed to be a bit closer to God than the pastors were. And they said, we have to do something to reach the, the ultra poor. And so they, put, they got a hall called Westport Hall. And they had a Sunday school for the ragged children. Their parents came because it was the only place they felt welcome. And uh, this very nondescript, again, place began. Then... A couple of the elders heard what was happening way up in the northeast of England, in Sunderland. And they, I don't know how they found the money, but they went up, they had a hunger for God. 
Is anybody seeing a, a, a common denominator here? A hunger for God. They had a hunger for God and they found the money to travel up to this minor hall in, by the Anglican church. They had a powerful encounter with God. They came back and that church, of all places in Britain, that church became the first place in Scotland where in the modern Pentecostal outpouring, what, notice the word modern Pentecostal outpouring, um, they spoke in tongues. Or what of the church in Azusa Street in Los Angeles? A black one-eyed preacher with very little um, uh, background education before he studied to become a minister. A ramshackle building. And yet Azusa Street in Los Angeles was the place where God chose. It was, it, it, it was a parallel of this nondescript hole in the ground where something began to bubble. And out of that becomes a spread of the fires of Pentecostal revival across the United States. We could talk of Scandinavia, wells, fountains and springs with hardly the strength to bubble to the surface, but God began to do something. But I want to go even further back. I don't want to go back a hundred years. I don't want to go back to the turn of the last century. What I want to do is go back for a moment 2,800 years. And 2,800 years ago, the prophet Joel said these words. They're familiar to every Pentecostal. I hardly need to read them. Uh, and you hardly need to uh, look them up. But they're found, as you know, in Joel 2. He said, And afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Notice men and women prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. You see, in the kingdom of God, there's no sexism, ageism, or racism. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, they will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even on my servants. And so there's no class distinction in the kingdom of God. Even upon my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit. So everybody knows Joel too. But you know, one of the problems when we read the Bible is particularly people like you and I who I hope know our Bible fairly well. We know many texts, but you know, there's power in the text in the shadows. For example, everybody here knows John 3.16, isn't that right? How many people can quote John 3.15 and 17? Oh no. Romans 8.28, we all know Romans 8.28, all things work together for good. Who knows Romans 8.27? It's still in the Bible, isn't it? And sometimes you've got texts in the shadows or chapters in the shadows that are just as important as the spotlights that we put on. And Joel 2 is the great Pentecostal passage written 2,800 years ago. But Joel 3 is very significant. Because in Joel 2, God says, I will pour out my spirit. There will be a bubbling well that it will emerge. I will go to do something great. Something is going to come to the church that will revolutionize the church. But Joel 3 goes better. Joel 3 says this, and in that day, the next chapter, the mountains will drip with new wine, the hills will flow with milk, the ravines of Judah will run with water, and look at this, a fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valleys of the acacias, the dry areas. So we think the blessing of God has to do with God flowing his river of blessing into our churches. God has not the Holy Spirit has not devised the Pentecostal movement around the world so that the river can just flow into the church. The church is useless until the, the river that flows in flows out. See, George Jeffries called uh, uh, and those early men and women, and there were women in the original group as well, not in that seven, but in the first evangelistic band. And, and George Jeffries didn't want another denomination. He didn't want another movement. People out there today, friends, in, 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 the, in, in Guernsey, in the Channel Islands, and anywhere, in fact, in the rest of the UK and so forth, they don't want another denomination. They don't want another movement. They don't want something else to believe in. They don't want any more rules and regulations. What they do want in the dry, arid experience of their life to encounter a God 
who works with them powerfully and brings transformation. You see, the things the Bible said flowed out of the Lord's house was wine, water and milk. Wine, a symbol of the Holy Spirit in the Bible to bring a, a sense of rejoicing. That was mentioned earlier when we talked, people talked about when I came to a church where I felt a sense on a Sunday night of, it was Eric who mentioned it, of rejoicing. What, a, a milk sustenance building up and water for refreshing. And those are the things that church needed to be that it wasn't in everybody's experience in those days. And so uh, th- that picture that was given of what church is assumed to be is one that was quite remarkable, but what a change. And I'll come to that in a moment. And so God says, a river will flow out. Well, the prophecy in the same book of the Bible is that a river will not only flow in, but flow out of the church. Then 800 years later, John the Baptist, speaking of Luke's gospel, said, I baptize you in water. He's speaking of Jesus. Now, I baptize you in water, but one who is more powerful than I, speaking of Jesus, will come. The straps of whose sandals are not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Then in Luke 24, 49, Jesus says to his disciples, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but wait in Jerusalem until you've been clothed with fire. In other words, don't leave the city until you've received the spring that started to bubble in Joel's day, but is now bubbling all the time. I've just come back from uh, New Zealand, preaching out there in our churches in New Zealand. Incredible things going on over there. Uh, the New Zealand Eden Church is 2,500 strong. They have a school... Uh, that's just received the award from Apple Computers uh, as one of the finest schools in New Zealand. A thousand pupils, 700 on the waiting list. The Jehovah's Witnesses have moved out of Auckland, out of New Zealand, and put their headquarter in, um, in uh, Australia. Um, you're not doing well with JWs at the moment, but they've moved out. And um, the local Elim Church has bought that £7 million complex, £15 million New, um, New Zealand dollars, Seven million pound complex is a training centre for the local church. Someone say amen. We've also bought an 18-hole golf course next door to build a 5,000-strong church. Starting with a bubbling spring. And that's just Auckland. That's just Auckland. That's just one place. Oh, in the UK, the Elim in the UK, what in, we have a church being built, nine million pounds. We have another church, it's foundation stone. Um, George Jeffries laid the foundation stone in Leeds, Bridge Street Church. And now they've moved the stone and 2,000 people, you'll see it's in uh, the, the Next Direction magazine, the one that's coming out uh, in January, not December's. 2,000 people putting that old foundation stone in a, in a building, 12 million pound building. That's not the money's not the important. What we're saying, when a, something starts to, I'm going to walk up and down here in a minute to get hold of some of you, don't mind my aftershave and you're sitting at the back. Uh, <laughs> but isn't it incredible, friends, when we see what happens from a small beginning, in a small beginning in our life. And I want, I want God to speak to, to that point to us in a moment as we come through the world and through the Word. So when I was in New Zealand, they took me on the one day off, this is why I was telling the story really, to this place called Rotorua, which is kind of underground, hot water channels. And if you've probably seen the pictures of the geysers that just burst out of holes in the ground. You can't put your hand into a lake and scold it. And they just burst up 50, 60 feet into the sky. And, and, and when you walk down on the ground, you're not aware of any underground current. You say there's no water here. But there will be a moment when the pressure becomes so strong that the underground spring is building up until it bursts forth. 
And right for 2,800 years from Joel's day, you see, I didn't hear of Pentecostal churches in the Middle Ages. Oh yes, they, the move of the Spirit was there. They were going underground, they burst out, and then they would be pressurized by persecution. They'd kill the people, and they'd drive them back underground again. And it would continue underground. The Holy Spirit didn't... Pentecost started in Acts chapter 2, not 100 years ago. Amen. That's when Pentecost started, at that time. And then, of course, we get to this place when the day of Pentecost came, they're all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. And the whole house, this is where it bursts out of the ground, burst from heaven. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. How could 120 people in an upper room, not even a main hall downstairs, you see the, you see the parallel all the time. It's small, scruffy beginnings. And upstairs, not a nice room like this here in, in, in a nice hotel, in an upper room. A hundred and Mary the mother of Jesus was there. How could they believe? Wait for this figure. 650 million people today. That's not since the healing began. 650 million people today living on planet earth are baptized in the spirit and speaking tongues. Yeah. When you think of the population of Great Britain, that's like 11, 9, 10, 11 times the population of Britain. Starting with 120 people in an upper room. How dare you say your church is so small, nothing can ever happen through it. Hello? Anybody in? Right? And friends, it didn't come in the 20th century to cathedrals, though it was to flow there later, as we've seen with uh, the, um, well, this, um, the Archbishop, Archbishop Canterbury, as we'll come to in a moment. But it came to back street churches, Look at the pictures on there. No cathedrals on that backboard of the work of God. Tin tabernacles, we would call them. Small mission halls. Places you wouldn't want even to park a car. You say, what on earth will we do there? Um, and some disparagingly said of us in Elim, in those early I wasn't, you know, I'm not that old, but, you know, in the early days. But some people disparagingly said that we were just a denomination of the working class. Well, that's all right with me. If the Son of God, creator of the universe, could stand, could begin his life in a cow's food basket next door to an inn, uh, I don't mind anything that starts in the working class. See what it says in 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of the small beginnings. Think of the small beginnings in Azusa Street, in Westport Hall in Kilsyth. 120 in an upper room. Brothers and sisters, think of who you were when you were called. Not many of you were by human standards. Uh, not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And it is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore it is written that... That he who that no one who boasts, uh, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. That's God's currency: the weak, the marginalised, the overlooked, the discounted. Samuel goes to the house of Jesse to anoint a king. God says, "There's a king going to come out of your house." What father wouldn't have been proud when he's got seven sons? In fact, he's got eight sons. He's got eight sons, and, and, and he's been told that one of these sons will be the ruler in Israel, and he brings out to Shammah and Abinadab. And guys like this, and, and Eliab, and he says, well, look at this guy, he's tall, and he's strong, and he's macho, and he's the man, and God says, no, he's not the man. 
What about Abinadab? He's not the man. Shammah, no, he's not the man. He goes through seven. You know, it's one of these. No, it's not. He said, well, I'll give you my sons. Have you got any more sons? Well, he I have. I've got a little lad who hasn't even started shaving yet. He's out in the field. He, he spends all his time looking after sheep, strumming guitar and writing poetry. <laughs> God says, yes, but he's a man after my own heart. Yeah. Are you following me? He's a bubbling spring. The other guys were poster boys of what it appears that leadership should look like. Charismatic extroverts. But God's looking for a man after his own heart. God's looking for the bubbling spring. And that's how he found him. Outwardly, they had the charisma of celebrity. But God was looking for something, not in a Cotswold copse, but in the rolling fields of the Middle East. In fact, the small bubbling spring was to be part of David's story. He took five stones and one of them killed the giant who dominated and towered over him. God had rejected Saul, a man who was head and, soul t- head and shoulders taller than everybody else, for a David who was in that situation. Peterson, who wrote the, the paraphrase of the message, says, God chooses the nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. But in case you think this is some kind of uh, class war message about the working class, then um, you would be disappointed. Because now we come to the point that the outpouring refuses to be limited by class, by race, by culture. For in these days in which we live, in which we live the river has burst its banks to touch all people groups flowing into slums and mansions, into barrios in South America, into igloos, into tenements into leafy suburbs, ghettos and palaces. Some of the places have shown, I was in a church in Ludlow week last Sunday, Marilyn and I, a small church, 45 people, and they wanted to do a lot. I've not been able, obviously, with 550 churches in the UK, I've not been able to go to every single place, obviously. So all of my time has been centred on the large celebrations. Uh, I've come here for obvious reasons, because of you taking the trouble to celebrate here on the island in such a good way. And I've been to one Elam church in Ludlow. 45 people, and they had 45 guests. One of them was the Bishop of Ludlow. And uh, building about a third of the size of this. Marilyn and I are sitting here, and uh, we're watching the clip from Welby, who tore up his notes and said, let me talk about Elam without a script. And I'm looking across this. So I'm thinking here, 20, 30 years ago, come on, some of you are nearly as old as I am, isn't that right? Would you imagine that the Archbishop of Canterbury would be baptised in the Holy Spirit? And I'm sitting there and the Bishop of Ludlow's there. Wonderful, godly man, baptised in the Holy Spirit. Worshipping God better than some of us Pentecostals do sometimes. Just amazing. And when, and when Justin Welby was enthroned, uh, he had given a few of us, I had Rick Warren sitting here, I was there, and Steve Clifford of EA was sitting there. And they came to part when they sang one of an HTB, Holy Trinity Brompton song about the movement of the Holy Spirit written there by Charismatic Anglican Church. I looked across at my colleague Steve Clifford and my friend there and I, I was, my tears were in my eyes, I couldn't sleep. We're in the enthronement of the Archbishop of Canterbury who's baptised in the Spirit and having a worship song. Because God has bubbled out of these springs through Pentecostal churches, but we don't have friends. Elim does not have a franchise on the Holy Spirit. God said all flesh, for all cultures, for all classes, for all time, until Jesus comes. It's a remarkable thing. And the remark, so why is it the small beginnings? Well, God says two things, alls in the Bible, about the move of the Holy Spirit. First of all, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, 
but so that no flesh could glory in my presence. So I'm going to start with the humble beginnings and the small situation. I want to come to the final part of what I want to share this evening and say this. How many people here, well, don't raise your hands because um, I'm sure we'd all do it. How many people have said to us, this is a rhetorical question, what does Ellen mean? Have you ever had that when you talk, which church you go to? You don't even say Elim. What does Ellen mean? And uh, you say, well, it's not Elim, it's Elim. And then you start talking about the, the wanderings of the people of Israel. And you say something like I said, they were needing shelter and refreshment. And they came to an oasis. And our churches want to be an oasis in the world. We do that. But you know, when I was preparing for this message, um, I found a thing that after all my life, 45 years, 46 years as an Elim minister, I had never, ever known before. I don't know. Do you ever read the Bible and think, after all the times you've read the Bible as a Christian, I never saw that before? Yeah. Do you ever do that? Yeah. And, and I, I do that because I obviously do my daily devotions like everybody else. And, and, and I said, well, goodness me, I've read the Bible so many times, I've never seen that before. And I made a discovery. I made this discovery, ready for this. There are more than one Elims, not only in the Bible, but on the wilderness wanderings. The Elim that we're named after, that George Jeffries named us after, is the fourth station in their wanderings. But around about the 13th or 14th station, there's another Elim. And it's disguised because it's referred to, when it's mentioned this place in Isaiah, as Beer Elim. B-E-E-R. A beer is not a pint of beer in the Bible. That's <laughs> uh, got that out of the way for a moment. Uh, a beer is, um, sometimes a beer is a coffin, isn't it? But a beer in this context is one of two things. It's either a pit or a spring. The only difference being, if it's got no refreshing in it, it's called a beer which is just a pit. If it's got refreshing in it, it's called a spring. I want to say, friends, your church is, uh, is a Pentecostal church in name only if it's a church with no refreshing in it. Yeah. Our churches have to have refreshing in it. Otherwise, we're going to get prosecuted under the Trade Description Act somewhere <laughs> along the line. But So it's called in Isaiah beer healing. But when it's referred to in the rest of the scriptures as just beer, and every commentator, I've got to every commentary I've got, and, and some online that I don't possess, and every commentator says the beer that's mentioned in, um, in the scriptures in Numbers 21, 16 to 18 is Beer Elim that is referred to there. So we've got another Elim. So is it, how, come on, how many honest people? How many people didn't know there were more than one Elim in the Bible? Is that remarkable? The rest of you are completely asleep and couldn't care less. No, no, you're not. You're engaged. You wouldn't be here if you weren't engaged. Now I want to say as I come to the final part of my message, this. We've looked at how God moves. There's a consistency over centuries, over cultures, that God starts with the small, insignificant movements, and then so that no flesh would glory in his presence, it develops and it overflows throughout history. 2,800 years ago from the Joel prophecy uh, right through to the present day. But now we come to the remarkable thing about this new Elim. Because we've talked out about the ones of wells and palm trees, so let's go to the other one. I'm going to read about, about this to it. And this is Romans 21, uh, Numbers 21, 16. Uh, refers to Beer, but which is in fact Beer Elim. From there they continued on to Beer Elim, the well where, the, still another well, still a well. The well where the Lord said to Moses, it's still on the wanderings of the people of Israel, 
Gather the people together and I will give them water. Then Israel sang this song. Spring up, O well, sing about it, about the well that the princes dug, that the nobles of the people sank. <coughs> that the bones of the people sank. The nobles were scepters and staffs. And they went on to the wilderness of Matana. This well is also called the well of heroes or the well of champions. And there's a few heroes and champions who've gone home to be with the Lord that are in those pictures. And there's a few heroes and champions that are on those pictures as teenagers you are in the room today. How many people in the room have got a picture of themselves as a younger person on the back there? Please show them your hand. That is amazing. Well, everybody else give them a massive clap of applause. They're still going on well with God. Praise God. So a pit became a pool that became a mighty river. You see, in this room, there are not seven springs. I don't know how many people are here. Let's say that there are 140 for a figure. That's 20 times the number of springs. It's only seven little bubbling springs there start the River Thames. But if God was to do a significant thing in our lives, you say, well, John, I'm not the most uh, influential person in my church, or I haven't been a Christian very long, or I'm, I don't know a great deal about my Bible, or you come from a, three generations of healing ministers, and I'm the first Christian in my home. It's totally irrelevant. And, and I thank God for my Christian heritage, and I'm not denigrating it. But friend, my future does not depend upon the, my bloodline in healing. It depends on the blood of Jesus that comes from the cross. Yeah. And if you've been saved for 20 minutes but something is bubbling up in your spirit, you can be the bubbling spring that's going to make a difference for the next move of God in the next 100 years. Absolutely. And if that's what the heart of the message is. And the Bible says a remarkable thing about this, and this is the point I want to make. In the first spring that was healing with the wells and the palm trees, it was a ready-made spring. In other words, they went up to it, they went to the spring, they took out the water and they were refreshed. But in this other Elam, it isn't. It's an underground spring that is flowing, but they have no access to it. And God says to Moses, you've got to call that that which is there, but you haven't broken through to it. You need to actually do something to break through to the next stage of the refreshing. In the early part of the wanderings, I provided it just by water. Now... I want you to be refreshed again, but you've got to speak to the well. You've got to say, that's what it says, spring up, O well. But you've not only got to sing to the well, you've got to do something. Well, they didn't have JCBs to open up the earth. They'd been in slavery for goodness knows how long. They had no iron forges, so all they had were walking sticks, called just staffs, and they had scepters. The nobles, the leaders, had scepters. The scepters were a symbol of their authority. They walked around with these scepters, uh, that they'd made or carved and uh, that showed that they were a leader. Uh, and they also had a scepter of authority and they had a staff. And God says to Moses, tell the leaders, and I'm talking to you leaders as well, and talk to all our leaders in Elam, and to all our people, a leader is a person who exercises influence over, for, over somebody else. And if you're a mother here today, you're a leader because you're exercising influence over your children. If you're a grandfather, you're a leader because you're exercising influence. He said, I want you to dig with your scepters and your staffs. The scepters symbolized authority. The staffs symbolized the ordinary. He said, I want you to start beating into the ground. You want you to be singing now and declaring, spring up, oh well. But as you are declaring spiritually, I want you to do something practically. And that's where our future lies, friends. Not people who have wonderful Pentecostal services and shake and fall. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'd, 
you know, it just doesn't happen to me very often, but it, it, it happens to other people and it's a sign of God's blessing. I'm not denigrating it. But having a good time in our cosy churches, friends, is not going to change a world that's been taken over by Islam and secularism. There has to be not just the spiritual language of spring of our well, but the hard work of getting through to God. The old Pentecostals talked about praying through. And the only ones may not know it, so it says not, doesn't mean saying prayers. It was staying before God until they broke through in prayer and heaven opened and they got an answer from heaven. Daniel, when he went to the river Chiba for three weeks fasting and prayer, nothing happened at all for 20 days. I would have given up, to be honest with you. I'd have said, well, I'm just hungry now. 20 days, that's enough spirituality for me. Where's the apple crumble, you know? I'm off. And nothing happened. And on the final day, an angel came and said, brought in the answer, but said something even more powerful. From the first day, Daniel, that you began to pray, I set out. But I, there was a, a battle in heaven with a spiritual demon called the Prince of Persia. And he fought with me, but I was able to fight through because you were praying. He thought nothing was happening. He thought, I'm wasting my time. But when we pray, something is happening in heaven. I've used this illustration so many times. If you've got a wall there, and I've got a sledgehammer, and I take the sledgehammer, because we're demolishing the wall, and it takes me a hundred blows to bring that wall down. Here's the question. What, which was the blow that brought the wall down? Yeah? Half of us, everybody's given the right answer. Somebody says the last one. Well, it was, but it would have not brought it down if it hadn't been for 99 blows before it that we said were failures. Oh, he said, John, don't talk to us about evangelism on the island. You know, we've done this, we've done that, we've done the other, we've prayed, we've done that. We haven't got the growth. Friends, what? Those were the 99 blows. Coming soon, if you will use sector and staff, if you will keep on declaring and believing that in smallness even, God can bring something, because it's ready underground to burst forth. It's ready for you. Young person, young people, it's there for you now. Older people, it's there for you now. And God wants us to take this. What, what is our authority? Authority is the word of God. Authority is the fact that we're children of the king. This worm theology, I'm useless and no use, and, and there's nothing worthy in me, that's not going to change the world. Now, I know that I'm useless without God's strength, but there's another side to it. My authority says, I'm a child of God. My authority says, you and I can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. But then there's the staff of hard work. Anybody pick up a staff. See, when Moses took an ordinary staff and presented it to God, it, it, it turned into a snake, it became supernatural. Aaron's staff that was put in the Ark of the Covenant was an old staff, but when the anointing of God was on it, it began to bud, and then it brought forth fruit. And to those of you, people tell you, the older ones of us, I've talked to the younger ones here, but I went in, right there, but to the older ones, people say, well, you've had your day, leave it to the younger people. You know, the devil says, just an old stick, you are. I tell you what, an old stick in the presence of God buds and blossoms as fruitful as if it was a new tr young tree. See, that's where our next hundred years is. I'm not going to set the, paint the picture for the next um, four years in Elam because I won't be the leader of the movement. Somebody else will be doing that. The, that election will take place in the next few weeks. But, so it's not for me to say. But what is for me to say is not what they do or what Elam does, but, it, but to say there is a quality of spirituality where people will take over, continue in seeking God with our authority, but, and, uh, but also be willing to work for what we do. 
New Zealand again. They, in the New Zealand conference, full of all these ministers who are doing these great things and all this massive stuff they're doing, they celebrate in the, in the meeting somebody who's done an extraordinary thing in the year. It might be a young man or woman who's planted a church under very difficult circumstances. Somebody has worked with very little money. And they bring him out and they just pray for him. And they, everybody claps them. And I was just blown away what happened at this conference. Uh, I'm about to preach and I was sort of at the back of the church because I just want to get the atmosphere of the meeting. You don't always get the atmosphere on the front row. So at the back, ready, and they said, the person who we're honouring this year is not in this room, but they're in the building. So I thought, what does that mean? And what that meant was, they were going to honour one of the most important people in England. She was a Philippine woman who spent her time cleaning the toilets in the complex. So they sent out for this lady. And she was out cleaning while all the meetings, conference was going on. And she couldn't speak for two reasons. Number one, she can't speak English very well. She's Filipino. But she couldn't speak because her eyes were running down with rivers of tears as they brought her onto the platform. And some people here in this meeting, right, you would cringe and die to death if you're asked to stand under a spotlight or take a microphone. But you've been faithful for year after year after year in the local church. You've tied out of a pension when you could easily have not. You've shown a good example to your non-Christian family, grandmother, grandson who hasn't got any desire for church whatsoever. But one day, they've watched your life and said, I wish I had my faith, my granddad. And God's going to reward not just those with the sectors of power, those of us in leadership, but with the people, the general superintendents and the pastors of the world. In Port, we've got a job to do. The nobles had, to, had the job to do. But he's going to reward those who in the ordinariness of life have built healing. Power and ordinariness. I need to come to close at some point. But I was up at four o'clock in the morning. If I can spend that long, you can spend a few hours here listening. Um, Nehemiah, very, very sad. He was the cupbearer to the king. It was a capital offence, punishable by death, obviously. If you went sad into the king's presence, rich people surround themselves with all the luxury that makes the ambience of their life comfortable. That's how they spend their money. It might be a mansion, it might be a, uh, it might be a, a doctor like Michael Jackson and takes his doctor, his own personal doctor everywhere he goes. He, he just does everything to provide for his comfort. Well, in, in, in Bible days, what they did also, they wanted to create a good atmosphere around them and they wouldn't let anybody look miserable when they were in their presence. And if any servant went in looking miserable, they'd kill them. It's an incentive not to be miserable. But he couldn't help it because he'd been to Jerusalem and he'd seen a city that once was great broken down. Some people can look at parts of our church in this country today and see that. And he couldn't help looking miserable. And the king said to him, you're looking miserable today. He thought, well, I'm dead now. He said, oh, I'm sorry, Your Majesty, I can't help it. I can't help it. I've got to be honest with you. I cannot pretend anymore. I've just been to Jerusalem, my city, where we worship God, Zion, and it's in a mess. And I, I'm brokenhearted. Instead of killing him, he resourced him. He said, you go out, take some time out, and try and get that city built. I'll give you money to do it. So thank God for working class, but thank God for people who can supply money into the kingdom as well. And so he went and he did that. 
But then something happened. The devil never lets us have his own way. Elim has had many blessings over the years. We're planting 50 churches this year, and more than we've ever planted in our entire history in one year. We've had many challenges and sadnesses. We've had missionaries martyred. We've had troubles, like any family has. You have your blessings and your troubles as well. Bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen to good denominations. When you try and do something for God, I, I don't know how honest I should be. When I was a pastor once, I was almost frightened to baptise people because when I baptised them, every one of the candidates went through some real struggle in their life as if the devil was testing them. And so he starts to build, but the enemy don't like it. It's Tobias, Sam Ballot, you know the story. And so this is what they had to do. They said, look, I want you, when you're building the wall as a builder, have your trowel with a mortar on in one hand, but have a sword in the other. Have your authority, which is a sword, but be, just have your working staff in the other hand. Work and faith, the word and the spirit. That's the balance. That's where we go. That's how it goes in our life. So right now as we close, let's say this. What is there underground that God has got for Guernsey? The pictures at the back of all that God's done in the past. The wells that we all drank from, or you all drank from over here on the island, that you drank from. The blessings that were there. The wonderful things that were taking place. What has God got for the future? Oh, not the long distance future. What has God got? What is flowing in underground like those geezers there that have not yet burst out but they are there those things that were in beer Elim that were just below the surface and God said it's only just below the surface it's not a long way down because even a staff a walking stick will get through to it but as long as you apply it and as long as you declare so it says sing to the well sing to the well sing to the well this is what it, let me read you what it says Gather the people, well we're gathered tonight, I will give them water, I will give them water, and then you must sing, spring up oh well, you haven't got it now but it's coming, that's what it means, I haven't got it at the service now but it's coming, are you ready for that kind of faith, I haven't got it now but it's coming, let's say it together, I haven't got it now but it's coming, I haven't got it now but it's coming, yeah, let's say so the devil can hear it, I haven't got it now, but it's coming. And God says, you'll get your refreshing in your fellowship in this next beginning of the next century. Not in a hundred years, but in the next few months and years. As you take the spirituality authority and the ordinance of faithful service and declare, God, you've got something better for me. I just wonder this evening how many people here in these springs that are there. Those are seven springs that became the River Thames. 220 miles, a powerful river through our capital. In an upper room, 120 springs that brought out a flow of 655 million, 650 million baptised in the Holy Spirit people today. Apart from countless millions who've been faithful in diving onto heaven. So what about this room? What about Guernsey? What about this moment? Can we bow our head and close our eyes? And I, I worry about appeals. I do really because what happens is this. Now thank you if you'd like to play something that fix our eyes on Jesus quietly as we close. 
I worry about appeals. I've been long enough a minister to have my anxieties about them. Um, sometimes I won't bring people to the front, uh, and I'll tell you why. Because when you come to the front, they come to the front because the general superintendent would pray for them. When they wouldn't come to the front, if the pastor brought them forward. And that then creates a wrong focus. It's not about me, it's about God. And I also have a problem with appeals. They're not wrong, and I do, I've done this every venue I've been in, and I'll be doing it in Manchester. But I'm going to be honest with you, friends. I, I respect your integrity and mine, that sometimes when I've brought people to the front, six people on a row come forward, and one person then gets up and comes because they don't want to be the only person on the row not coming. So you don't really know who you've got at the front, really. So I'm making an appeal now, and I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help us here to have a, a, an amazing honesty in our lives. It doesn't matter how young you are, how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, whether you've got an healing heritage, whether you haven't. But you say, God has got far more for me than and my family and my church than I'm experiencing right now. It's underground. It's like beer Elam is a well, but I can't get through to it. It's not got through to me, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to commit at the beginning of this new century, century this, this year, I'm going to take my authority of who I am in God in one hand and my willingness to just serve and be faithful in the one step in front of the other ordinariness of church life. And I'm going to take my ordinary faithful service plus my supernatural position with God and I'm going to declare, spring up, O oh well, in my soul. Lord, will you bring something fresh into me? Will, can I break through, Lord, into something deeper? And if you say yes to that, I'm asking no one looks around. Thank you, you've all got your heads bowed. So you're not looking at what other people are doing. So you don't know whether who's responding and who's not. Only heaven sees it, and me, because I'm looking. Because I want to pray over you. Not bring you to the front. Not come and lay my hands on you, because I'm a special speaker. You say, I want everything God's got for me, and I'm willing to take my authority and my service and spring up and say, Spring up and break through to what if that's who you are right now in Guernsey today, raise your hand right where you are. God bless you. God bless you. Wow. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. Now take your hands down. God bless you all. Now we're going to, I'm going to pray over you. I'm not bringing you out because if I bring you to the front, all I do is reveal those who didn't come out. And that's not the purpose. I'm not here to embarrass anybody. But I'm here to pray blessing over those who really do want to break through. Father, we thank you for the history, not just of Elim in this island, but of the work of your grace over time. But today, at this our special birthday, Lord, we thank you for your grace that has brought us to this day. We think of the man who was healed at the gate beautiful. He went walking, leaping and praising God. And Our testimonies are always centered on the leaps. The great movements of faith, the healings. I was ill and now I'm not. But Father, he didn't just go leaping. He went walking. One foot in front of another. The ordinariness of faithful service. And thank you, Lord, tonight for those men and women, young and old, who have responded and said, I'm going to take the authority of having Jesus. I'm going to take my faithful service week by week and I'm going to declare over my well spring up that I not only will be refreshed and a river will flow into me but a river will flow out of the house of God because of the river in me. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your words to us tonight. And Lord, we do indeed want those springs to, to break through in our lives, in our churches. Lord, that we would see change in our lives and therefore also be able to see that, that flow out of our lives and out of our churches into our communities and into our workplaces. Lord, that we would see change in the lives of our friends and our colleagues. That we'll see changes in, in the lives of uh, those who are working in our schools and in our government lives. Lord, that we would see your spirit move as we move by your spirit. So Lord, we pray, spirit break. But Lord, we recognize tonight that you only do that through your people moving in your place. Help us to do that, I pray. being here tonight. Thank you, John, for your words to us. It's been an amazing evening. And our prayer is that, that God will continue to move in Guernsey. And he'll only do it, or continue to do it through his people. And that's you. And that's me. God bless you.